Well, thank you so much for listening to the next episode of The Growth Track. Uh, I'm really excited because uh, today we have Steve Burston with us. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Well, uh, great to be here, James. I, I don't know if The Growth Track is actually about your moustache. Yeah, yeah, well, it didn't start like that, but now... And it's so good that you've just come to talk to us for 20 minutes about my moustache. You know, yeah, I think... it's fascinating. I could talk about that moustache for 20 minutes. If, if I know, people that obviously people can't see us right now, Steve and yeah. I are recording on a call um, from our homes, but right now I've probably got a little bit too much stubble on the side at the moment. I'll probably clean shave that back and just give, give uh, the moustache the emphasis. A strong Merv Hughes. Yeah, yeah. I've been at, um, what's the other guy people have been referring me to? All sorts of names have been called out, but um, it is a thing carrying me through COVID 19. <laughs> Brilliant. Hey, um, if you if you don't know Steve, um, Steve is uh, a great friend um, of mine and, and all of ours at St. Peter's. And Steve and his wife, Liz, planted uh, a church in Crawley, just north of Brighton, uh, in 2017. That's right, September yeah, 2017. Um, with their daughters and a team from St. Peter's and, and other friends as well. And they've been up there for, yeah, just, just under three years now. And yeah. uh, Steve... Um, Obviously, uh, I'm sure there's loads of things you could tell us from the past few years. But um, first of all, how are you doing in the middle of uh, this lockdown that we're all in? How, how's church life going? How's family life going in Crawley? Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I've been asking, I've normally asked that question to other people. And so um, it's going all right, actually. Um, I'm an introvert by heart, believe it or not. And um, so it's not too bad. I would say one out of seven days. Probably I get a think. Oh, I don't want to do this. And and slowly as lockdown goes on, it goes to one to six days. That would feel that. So there are some real challenges with it. But it's been really great to have all our three girls back. So Grace is back from St Nicholas and Bristol University. So she's been with Toby down there and yeah, uh, and studying. So she's back. And uh, uh, yeah, it's just good to have our girls around. Church doing well. Mm -hmm. It's not what I signed up to do. Yeah. Uh, to do church online. I uh, got a face for radio. Um, so you're yes, very you blessed do. with this podcast. <laughs> so, um, but uh, we do it live on a Sunday. So Sundays is full on. Um, yeah. So we do a nine thirty traditional, eleven thirty informal, sort of charismatic, and then six o'clock prayer meeting where we just really press into different issues. So this yeah. week we've got mental health week, and so we're looking at we've got Will van der Hart done a video and different people, oh, great. and we just pray into it. So yeah, yeah it's it's we've had to as St. Peter's have had to do is we've planted another church about six weeks ago and it's like full on. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, um, Steve, like I said, honestly, thank you so much for giving up uh, your time on this lovely sunny afternoon. Um, and, and as, uh, as I've, I was chatting to Steve before this, um, and over a little bit over the past week, um, about the growth track and, you know, the idea of the growth track, really always was that we'd love to just be the sort of people that are continuously growing in our relationship with Jesus. And um, what does it look like to follow Jesus wholeheartedly in 2020 in the middle of, you know, COVID or whatever situation? And so we've sort of put these um, little sort of challenges together sort of across the years so of reading the Bible, listening to some silly podcasts, you know, maybe studying a book per term and, and a few different things. And what we've sort of done across the years, we've talked about different things, different practices or different topics, which all in all, we hope will help each of us 
growing our faith, growing our relationship with Jesus. And that's a lovely thing to be doing with so many, you know, so many friends. And today uh, we're going to have a conversation on, on resilience. What is resilience? What does it look like to be resilient and how, how can we do that? And um, uh, you're an expert on this and, um, <laughs> I, and I just, I want to hear all you have to say, but I guess um, for those who don't know you, um, and know a bit of your story. It'd be great to hear a bit about you, yourself, your story. Um, did you always plan to be a vicar in Crawley? And um, and how have you got to here? Yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, Steve. Yeah, definitely. Well, I bore everyone to tears once more again. But um, uh, yeah, I was born in South London. I'm a South London boy. My dad was a policeman. And uh, after I'd gone to university the first time, I went to Southampton University and had a dabble in cricket and found out I was rubbish. Um, I joined the Metron Police in 1992, and uh, it seems a long time ago. And it I was, was born and, there. Uh, were you? Yeah. Oh, go, wow. That's... Just go throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, just throw that out there. Oh, wow. I feel even But did now. you say 92? Yeah. What month? Uh, uh, November. All right. Okay. I was two months. Oh, well, Great time to be alive. Anyway, well, sorry. I've heart... already. Yeah, already, yeah. already you've, had a massive, you've had a massively hard paper round, James. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've interrupted already. Please continue. That's right. And then so I was a a uniform PC for uh, several years in South London. Then I became a detective um, uh, and then went on to different robbery squads and uh, different uh, uh, surveillance teams as a detective and then was an undercover police officer for seven years, uh, being deployed uh, throughout the UK and uh, a little bit further afield sometimes. And also had uh, did courses uh, within the police, which was one of those body recovery, and so played a part in the uh, recovery of bodies after the tsunami um, and after the Edgware Road um, bombings, uh, so the London bombings of 7-7. Yeah. I was in charge of one of the crime scenes there and so uh, led a body recovery team in the recovery of some of the victims in that. And so what my journey, uh, I wasn't a Christian uh, for lots of my police career, uh, up until 2007, so 2005 when the London bombings, I wasn't a Christian. Um, and I thought the way to get through life was to man up, to step up, and mental toughness was carrying on dis- despite all the things that were sort of uh, alarm bells telling me to stop. And in 2007, uh, me, I'd been, I was married by this stage to the lovely Liz, who was a police officer as well. Um, we met in a, over a starry-eyed custody suite, and uh, I thought, she's not too shabby. <laughs> and, um, and we got uh, packed up the courage to get married in 1997 when you were five. <laughs> yes, yeah, just, yeah. Just helpful the, for me uh, tonight. Yeah, okay, five, yeah. <laughs> and um, we had three daughters by 2007, but our marriage was going down the pan, really. Uh, my habits, I'd worked ridiculous hours, so I was working between 60 and 90-hour weeks at this wow. point. Uh, because I felt that I needed to be needed and the Metron police couldn't function without Steve Burston at work and mm-hmm. with the police the demand is always there and also I was drinking quite heavily socially not as a uh, alcoholic in any shape yeah. or form but binge drinking was definitely a way that I'd cope with some of the stuff I'd seen yeah. I was going in on myself and me and Liz stopped communicating and we were we were growing further and further apart um, what then happened in 2007 is my twin sister, Suzanne, who I was born on Christmas Day. 
uh, a lot earlier than you, James. Um, <laughs> on Christmas Day, but I was a twin, and my twin sister was uh, spina bifida, which means she 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 never was able to walk. Um, so she was always in a wheelchair. But um, very unexpectedly, in two thousand and seven, um, I took a phone call from my brother and from Liz uh, to tell me that uh, my sister had suddenly died uh, in Worthing Hospital from uh, septicemia. And about two weeks later, having not taken a break at all and just gone straight back to work, so the way I cope with things was work harder and harder, yeah. um, I suddenly felt that I had dislocated my shoulder and I drove across London. I was in Hackney working on a job, an armed surveillance job in Hackney. Um, by this stage, I was a detective inspector in charge of the London Crime Squad South. We're in charge of several armed surveillance teams. Uh, and I drove across London uh, to my GP and... Uh, my GP told me that I was having a heart attack. I had a further heart attack in St George's Hospital and uh, my life unravelled and I couldn't be a policeman, I couldn't be a father and I couldn't be a husband. And when Liz came into the hospital, we finalised our separation and decided that the best thing for me to do, because I didn't want to carry on in any shape or form, I was to move in with my parents when I came out of hospital. And by the grace of God, I came out two weeks later and they told me my heart had gone on into spasm through stress and uh, then went back to my mum and dad's and whilst at my mum and dad's uh, being there three days, I think there was uh, there was a knock on the door by the Vicarus uh, Ashington Church, not J James Decast that many of us know, but a bloke called Chris McClay and it was a charismatic church uh, and he came and knocked on my door and I thought, what on earth is this idiot doing at my door with Vicar? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I genuinely thought that. I thought, oh, great. What I now yeah. know is Liz's mum and dad, who still go to Ashington Church and uh, live in the village we used to live in, yeah. uh, uh, had sent him. Uh, and, he, and I gave him my life story, which was about two and a half hours. And I go into a lot more details into some <laughs> of the things I'd seen and uh, dealt with. And uh, I thought, you yeah, know, you come round, you might as well have it. Come on, Vic, yeah. step up. Uh, he listened and he had drunk his tea and cake. And then he looked at me and went, oh, uh, quite a rich life then. And I said, yeah. And uh, it was quite posh, is Chris. Um, <laughs> and then he looked at me and he said, I've got two bits of advice for you, Steve. He said, one is that know that you're loved by God. And I thought, you're having a laugh, aren't you? And um, the next thing was read the Psalms because I think you'll find a lot of help in them. And I just thought, what a load of rubbish. And he left. And about an hour later, Lizzie knocked on the door and was in tears and said, look, I still think we've got a chance in our marriage despite everything we've been through, all the mistakes we've made, but I think I, I want to fight for it. And uh, mm. we cried, and uh, in many ways Liz didn't, had done nothing wrong um, in any shape or form, but she was willing to fight because she still loved the man she married and fell in love with, and I just needed to find myself, uh, which is uh, sort of the cliche sort of phrase. About three days later, got to a point where... I couldn't really breathe anymore. Uh, I was really so low, I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and I contemplating, uh, contemplated hanging myself and went through the whole process of that in my head. And then my mum had brought down, after the vicar had come, the, our family Bible, because we, we weren't Christians and we only had one. Yeah. And uh, so I had a choice between ending it all or reading the Psalms. And I opened the Psalms and I opened it flick to it and it opened at Psalm 121 L lift up your eyes where does your hope come from it comes from the hills and um, uh, which is always funny in our church now because we've got our kids pastors called Reninka Hill 
And so we would say, where did your hope come from? It comes from the hills. Um, but, um, uh, and those words changed my life. And then I read wow. through the Psalms all that afternoon, read them all and found a God I could be angry with, could be frustrated yeah. with, could pour out my heart to, that was going to drag me out of the pit onto uh, a new rock and give me a, a new song, as Psalm 40 tells us. And I just found words that I could talk to God that I'd never been able to do. And then suddenly I was just hungry for the Bible. I just, I preached about it a few weeks ago about how that was just an exciting time. And I just want this lockdown time to be that time when I cannot get enough of God's word. And I was reading, I read through the uh, gospels and said, found this bloke called Jesus that I thought was this quite uh, middle-class looking uh, (laughs) Robert Powell white bloke, but I've discovered to be this revolutionary uh, man that was just very attractive to be drawn towards and you wanted to know more about. And it was like this uh, sort of wishy-washy, mamby-pamby Christianity was nothing like it in reality. In reality, it was a revolutionary, radical call to obedient discipleship. And I just fell in love with Jesus. And it sounds... Yeah, sounds cliche for a vicar, but even at my lowest point, I felt a few days into reading the Psalms that God was calling me to be a vicar. And I just laughed because I was on this really well-paid job and I was going to go back to it. And I thought I could be a vicar in, when I'd retired in another 10 years time. Yeah. Because uh, as a policeman, you retire uh, after 30 years. And I thought, oh, I can do that. And that would be like a hobby or something like that. And it'd be, yeah, I could be a vicar then. But God yeah. was quite clear. And that even at that call, I was like, I suppressed it. And then a few years later, uh, Chris McClay, the same vicar, preached about calling and uh, said about doing a 30-day Ignatian retreat, which is about the bloke who founded the Jesuits. And what he said to people when, you know, he, his story was he was a soldier, uh, Ignatius of Leola. And uh, he was a soldier that was uh, wounded in the uh, Battle of Paloma in the 16th century. And as he recovered, he read the story of the saints and came to faith, and he founded the Jesuit movement, which is what you see yeah. in the film The Mission, Robert yeah. De Niro, that kind of people that just yeah. uh, go around the world to uh, evangelise. And he said, if you want to find your meaning in life, you should dedicate 30 days to God and, uh, yeah. and go in a retreat. And we did, because we we're a full-in family. We still are. Yeah. We're, uh, we're either in-in or out-out. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, 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 <laughs> Mickey Flanagan would say, um, or either going out, out, or in, in. Um, but we're we're definitely in, in kind of people, and so we um, were fully into um, yeah. the call. We did a thirty day retreat, and we went to th- uh, four different churches on that, and all the vicars preached on feeding the five thousand, uh, and it was about you feed them. One of them was D- James D. Cass at the point. He was a curate. He preached with Will Kemp. And then we came to the second ever Sunday at St. Peter's as visitors when Archie wow. preached on it. Uh, didn't know how important St. Peter's were ever going to be in our story then, but God's got a great sense of humour and a great plan. Yeah. And Archie preached on it. Then we went to one in Yeovil, and then we went to our sending church in Ashington, and mm. Chris preached on it. And so even by the end of that, me and Liz really got the idea that you feed them. And yeah. uh, then we started exploring, you know, Whilst I'd gone back to be a detective inspector and told my whole squad of 120 detectives that I was a Christian, um, which yes, and what, myself... and and I, I'm interested in what that was like. You know, I imagine so many of those people you were working with knew you yeah. as the person you're explaining 
earlier on. What, 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 how did they respond to you? But also, how did you change? What were the differences you saw in yourself yeah. going back into work? So before, I basically, part of the heart attack was I didn't know really who I was. And I tried to lead out of who I thought everyone wanted me to be. So I was this larger in life figure, this extrovert, mm. uh, when actually I'm a big introvert. And, uh, and I was this big detective that was, you know, like I used to even puff myself up in the uh, yard and say, right, yeah. come on, first, yeah. be up for this. Because uh, mentioned one police detective squads are full of big mm. characters and you've got a big, big characters to survive, which I thought. And so I led uh, out of fear, I would say. And so mm. I'd always have the right decision and never really collaborative, but I would really get the job done. I was very, very successful, but it wasn't a healthy way because I was leading out of someone who I wasn't. And so I made the decision. Uh, so after six months off work, seeing a psychotherapist, which I recommend to everyone, because it's great to talk yeah. to someone about yourself. It's a bit like therapy now. I've got, another, yeah. I've got you, James, as my therapist. Right <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I wish. And, um, yeah. Let's see what advice comes back at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My I life was all no right. No idea. That, po- <laughs> that life was all right till that podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did six months. Me and Liz really talked through whether I'd go back to the same job, uh, mm. whether I was going to go back into uniform and become a relief inspector but Liz turned to me quite early on in our journey as we restored our marriage together so our stories was on a separation as we were separated for seven months restored yeah. our marriage over that time learned to fall in love again I think one of the things from the psychotherapist sessions which was so telling was we did Myers-Briggs and whatever you think about Myers-Briggs it's it's not a definition thing for yeah. us it's just a guide yeah. uh, but Liz read my profile from my letters and she laughed and said that's not you is it huh. and I went no, that's me. And literally no one knew who I was wow. because I wore so many different masks and even my wife. So we had to learn to fall in love again, which was great. And we make a vow every day now to fall in love. And we talk about it every single day because we'll change. And that's my advice to any married couples is, is fall in love every day because mm. you'll change and they'll change and you'll just change. You'll fall in love together all over again. Yeah, that's great, and so right? we fell in love again. Um, and um, after seven months, got back together. But Liz spoke to me very early on to say, I think you should go back to your same job because it will kill you uh, going back into uniform. Um, But actually go back, but do it differently. And we discussed what that looked like. And it was accountability. It was making sure I wasn't the hero in the story. It was making sure that I led out of who I was. And so on the first day, I walked back into our covert base in South London uh, because it's a surveillance team and we work covertly. We we worked on gangs. And uh, sat them all down, 120 of them, and said, um, I've got something to tell you, boys. And everyone's going, oh, burst his back. Great. Yeah, great. It's all right. <laughs> the pub's going to be great again. It's like, oh, no, I've now got to tell them this story. And I just told him, I said, look, I found Jesus Christ. I've come to faith. Wow. I've restored my marriage. He's restored my life. I'm going to lead very differently. And I could see everyone thinking, the boss is gone loopy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, but the thing was, because I'd been an undercover police officer, because I'd been successful, and because yeah. the way I led, though it wasn't myself entirely, one of the things, I've, I've always been a, the captain of rugby teams or cricket teams, is I always really care too much about that sometimes with the people I, I'm in a team with, so I will yeah. die to myself sometimes. Mm. And so people were really for me. And they were just right. like going, oh, wow, okay, 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 bursty, because that's what people call me. And uh, we'll see what it looks like. And uh, really positive. And what it meant was that I led far better. Um, and yeah. that I led, the way I led was 
collaboratively. Uh, I didn't have the monopoly on good ideas yeah. and my door was always open and it has it led to so many great conversations with people who are struggling with things that I'd struggled with but came to me because I'd made myself vulnerable and I made myself accountable by telling them on the first day I made myself accountable they were watching me like a hawk to say yes is this real yeah is this transformation real yeah, and that wow. wasn't for me to prove but it was for me to keep my relationship with Jesus alive every day because I couldn't do it under my own strength it could only be an act of the Holy Spirit that stopped me swearing at crime seats yeah <laughs> so wow. I had to learn yeah well what I, so I, I guess it's safe to assume you you never saw yourself as a vicar in Crawley one day and... no it's really never no not at all really because yeah one yeah one because I know who I am and I still yeah. can't believe it in many ways because God's got a good sense of humour and yeah, me either. I still haven't got a clue what I'm doing James <laughs> but God seems to have something that he's doing but I th- looking back on my life there was a moment I was the only only person in my school to do O-level which is I'm that old but it's GCSE now yeah explain um, that to me <laughs> uh, religious education <laughs> yeah. and my whole family when I was 15 used to call me the vicar as a derogatory term <laughs> that is and, great and how how it's changed that I am yeah. now a vicar and I go look you made this happen you lot yeah yeah your fault look at look what you've yeah. done <laughs> yeah and so oh. I think the big difference to me was doing the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit uh, was about a few weeks after I'd come to faith uh, a really good friend of mine Patrick Pearson Miles and Chris McClay mm-hmm. prayed for me in the church and I was carrying a lot of hurt a lot of wounds I used to have nightmares about a certain deployment that I'd done as a, a police officer every night and they prayed for me and the Holy Spirit came on me and I can only say that the love of God just poured into me never had another nightmare since uh, mm-hmm. and I just want to walk with that feeling, that presence of God every day. I know when I've got out of my patterns, that doesn't happen. But my goodness, what that was, that was the moment that has like changed everything. And I think as Christians, and I've done it quite a lot, I can get God in my head. But only he can transform, my, restore and heal my heart. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And that's what changed. It went, I think Paul Nelson, when I was down at uh, St. Peter's, used to talk about the 18 inch journey between your head and your heart yeah and that happened and yeah. and that makes me as I step into being a vicar the yeah. only way I can do it is yeah. I know that I've been called and that he's in control yeah oh well uh thank you for sharing you know I'm, I'm sure just a part of your story and it is um from from the the time that we did work together actually at St Peter's um work did we work did we work actually all i can really remember if i'm honest was um bonfire evening and we had the 6 p.m service and me and you just sort of like got out of the service and sat around the bonfire drinking cups yep. of tea yeah um, absolutely that if anyone wants to call that work we call it work yeah you know? <laughs> so I was, I was trying to think of some sort of like you know inspiring moments of working with you at st peter's but um that's all that came to mind so anyway onwards and upwards <laughs> hey like i said at the start want to talk about this um this topic theme of resilience and i know this is an area you've spoken on before um from your own experiences in life which you've shared a bit of now and uh, i guess while you were sharing a bit of your story i was thinking how um you know it is often times of crisis you know that we're in that that things come to the surface and yeah and and you explained you know some of your experience of that and i imagine for a lot of us right now you know um, 
what we are in this global pandemic, we are in this crisis. And for each of us, it might look differently. But, um, you know, I know personally, there's things coming to the surface, which, which I can bring to God, I can try and bury away. And this topic of resilience, I think is, is so relevant right now. And, and I, I want to just open up and, and ask you and Steve, um, what do you think it means to be resilient? Yeah, it's a, it's a word that's bandied around quite a lot, actually, in many ways. And so I think the one thing I would say about resilience immediately, the definition literally means is how you bounce back. Resilience isn't being mentally tough, which means mental toughness is not carrying on regardless. Mental toughness is putting your hand up and saying, I need help. And so I think resilience is a character trait that can only be done with numerous things in your golf bag. So if I was going to describe resilience, I'd describe it as a golf bag and you've got lots of different clubs for lots of different situations. So if you went round with just a driver and a putter, you'd have a you'd not have a great round, but you need all the clubs in your bag. So I think for me resilience is having all those sort of clubs in your bag and never thinking you've got the answer to resilience. It's um I think there's so many different elements and we'll probably unpack some of those elements today. But I think it's it's that awareness that mental toughness is putting your hand up and saying you can't cope. And resilience is you will fall down. How do you get back up? I think yeah. everyone thinks resilience is avoiding breaking down. But actually, we're in this uh, sort of lockdown. I, I, you know, it's like a crucible of stuff. All the stuff that we got bubbling under the surface in a lockdown will come to the fore. And I think, you know, I think uh, Archie's been talking about character in lockdown. And there is, that's what lockdown is about, is dealing with your character stuff. I think the New Zealand All Blacks describe character as what you do when no one's watching. Mm. And, you know, what, what do you do? We can all have character when we've got in front of a stage or yeah. relying on our gifting. But actually, what you know, what resilience is, is how good is our character? How consistent is our character? And I think, yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, the New Zealand All Blacks, what you do when no one's watching. And, and what the New Zealand All Blacks do is they pick on character plus ability. Wow. That, you know, character is so important to them. So yeah. character plus ability equals performance. Yeah. And so it matters to them more about what a character's like. And I think it matters to God what our character's like. That's what he wants to um, talk about. I was reading this morning in 1 Samuel 16, you know, the calling of David, you know, of Samuel going along and and having all the great sons, the, the handsome sons of Jesse come out. And Jesse didn't even think to bring David into the room because, but Jesus, um, so God speaks and sees into our hearts way before he looks at what we're on the outside. And I think lockdown, uh, we had Pete Winter speak about calling this week uh, yeah. at St. John's. And he said, this is an interruption to have an invitation to look at the calling of your life to find out what your purpose is and to work on your character. And I think that's what the heart resilience is. What is our heart like in front of God? Well, thank you for listening to the first half of our conversation with uh, Steve Burston on the topic of resilience. And uh, we'll speak to you soon.